0: Today we find ourselves in a chapter where we're about, to see, we're about to see a side of Jesus that I think is difficult for some people. Uh, it's confusing, maybe even a little strange if I could say it like that. We're about to see Jesus express some anger in this chapter. And he's going to be talking to the religious leaders and uh, he's going to be talking about what they've made of the temple system. And how they've really made the way to God complicated as we kind of just sang about here. Um, to the people that they were supposed to serve. But before we get there this morning, let me give you a quick story about a guy who was going to go for a hike in the mountains. But first, he went into a store to buy his gear. And so a guy walks into a camping store. you with me? And he's looking for supplies to go on a long hike in the mountains. And so the man is in the camping gear shop. Um, the, the guy... The salesman that he approached, let's just say, is good at his job, okay? The salesman he approaches is really good at his job, and he really knows how to sell things to people. And so this guy's looking for uh, camping gear so he can go on a long hike. And so first he hands the guy a tent and tells him, you know, uh, this is the exact kind of tent you'll need. It'll keep water out. It'll keep the bugs out. It'll do all these things for you. It lasts through all all kinds of weather. It, it, It takes minutes to put up. And gratefully, the guy adds him a stack of maps and, you know, some socks and some waterproof clothing that he recommended. And uh, and, and now he decides, you know what, you're going to need a good pair of boots if you're going to go on this hike. And so he gets him a great pair of boots. A little bit on the pricey side, but a pair of boots nonetheless. And the store salesman knows just what he needs. So he needs something with a solid sole, a good support for the ankles able to walk through grass and through hard rock and through water, whatever the conditions bring. And now the sales guy shows him the cooking equipment. And he recommends, you know, you're going to need a good stove. You're going to need some fuel to take with you. You're going to need some storage boxes. And, and, and same with some food. He gives him some non-perishable food. He gives him some water bottles so that he could, you know, have, have some water when he goes and hopefully be able to f- fill it up from the fresh springs that he finds along his way. And then he needs a sleeping bag. And the sales guy explains, you know, he has this exact sleeping bag that this guy needs. It's thick and it's warm and it'll keep him cozy throughout the night. He's going to need an emergency kit. For sure you're going to need that. Uh, something to burn to keep the bugs away. Uh, you'll need a torch of sorts to take with you. Finally, he needed a pack. And the sales guy grabs an enormous haversack and says, this should be enough for you. It's waterproof. It sits nicely on the shoulders. And it's great for hiking. And the guy goes to the till, <laughs> and he's ringing this through, and it's a very, very large bill, but he pays it, and the guy at the till starts placing all the items into the sack that he bought to carry them in. And as the man who bought the supplies was about to leave, he tried to swing the, the pack on his back like he normally does, but he couldn't do it by himself. It was too heavy. There was too much stuff in it. It wasn't what he was normally used to, and so he kind of has to get down on like his knees like this, kind of hover to the till, Right? And uh, has to get assistance from the guy who just sold him all this stuff to put the pack on his back. And so the salesman helps him get his arms into the straps, and he stood up, and he gives, like, this awkward smile, like, eh, thank you, eh, Uh, appreciate it. Gives this awkward smile, wondering if he would even be able to carry this equipment out the door, never mind hundreds of miles into the mountains. And before leaving, he then asks the sales guy, thinking that this guy must be an expert when it comes to hiking trips, when it comes to living out in the mountains. And he says to the sales guy, so what kind of vacations do you take when you go out into the wilderness? And the salesman replied to him, oh, I usually just hit up a beach somewhere in a hot destination. I got a bad back. I can't carry stuff like that, is how he says it to him. And by the time this gentleman left the building and reached his vehicle, With all of his new hiking gear, for some reason, he was thinking of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he was thinking of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Now hold that thought, because that's going to make more sense to you shortly. And I tell that story for a reason. But today we are in chapter 23 of the book of matthew and we're going into a section where jesus is about to utter these seven woes to the religious leaders the scribes and the pharisees of his day and it is woe as in w-o-e as in things aren't looking good here it's not like woe as in like whoa the argonauts actually want a game right that's that's not kind of what he's doing here although some of us might want to w-o-e the bombers this week but you know we're not going to stay there we're going to keep moving on here this morning But so right up front, I want to make that clear. This is W-O-E. This is, whoa, this is, something's not right. Something is not as it should be. And we are going to see is critique and anger towards how they have turned the path of God into something that it was never intended to be. So let's pray quickly this morning. Father, would you speak to us today through your word? Would you uh, encourage our hearts? Would you challenge us where we need to be challenged? And most of all, Lord, may hope arise in our hearts the life lesson today. Lord, keep me from what would be my opinion. Give us your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's read the scripture. Matthew 23. And then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is for the people to see. They make their phylacteries, which is otherwise known as prayer boxes for just, you know, wide, and the tassels of their garments long. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. No are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so Jesus begins in chapter 23 by talking about the role of the Pharisees. And the text says that they sit in Moses' seat. That means that they sit in the place of authority where they tell you the words of God. That's that's essentially what that part of the scripture is trying to explain. And so Jesus actually affirms the office itself, which in and of itself is a noble thing. But he is about to offer a critique on how it is currently functioning under the present administration, if I could put it that way. You see, um, Schlotter, in his uh, commentary, Der Evangelist, said this. He said, just as Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saluted the scriptures before he subordinated them to himself with his royal, you've heard it said, but I say to you, so now in the Sermon of the Woes, Jesus honors the teaching office in Israel before subjecting that office to his withering critique. And so how are those people functioning in the seat of Moses? Moses. Well, in verse 4, it tells us what they do. Verse 4 tells us that they tie up heavy loads and they put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to help them. His central claim is that these religious leaders load people down with heavy loads. Jesus is concerned is not only for them in the harm of their ways, but especially in how they are leading other people away in the process of what they're doing. And this is not happy Jesus in in this passage, but Jesus is upset here. And so this morning, we need to explore a few things. We need to ask a few questions. We need to explore why does this make Jesus so upset? What does he mean by heavy? What do his teachings do? And what does this all mean for us today in 2019? And so my first point is this, is that the gospel is not heavy. Heavy. And I, I know I'm making a statement there. I have a lot of you thinking already and coming at me with other thoughts, but we're going to go through this in a moment. But the gospel is not heavy. You see, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, this is a way of speaking about the reality of God, the rule and reign of God, God breaking into this realm. And that's what Jesus has been talking about all throughout the gospel so far. And essentially what Jesus is saying is that there is a new thing that God is doing, and it looks like this. And he, he describes it as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus spent time teaching about this new thing. And, and this morning, let's look at some of um, his word. And, and really, I'm going to give you a bit of a tour through the scriptures as we look through this. Because we've got we to make some points here. And we've got to uh, figure things out about, is the gospel heavy or is it not? And so in Matthew chapter 13 and verses 44 to 45, this is how Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You see, the kingdom of heaven is described like a treasure that's hidden in a field. It's a treasure. It's something that you want more than anything. And it brings you great joy. And so you sell all you have to buy the field because that's how amazing this is. That's how Jesus is describing his kingdom. It's something that's desirable. It's something that fills you with joy. And you want it so bad that you would do anything to get it and to be a part of it and to enter into it. You see, for Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is something that's so great that you can think of nothing better and that you will literally rearrange and reorder your life around it in order to be a part of it. And it brings you joy. And and, and there's something hopeful about it. And so when these religious teachers of his day portray the life of God as something so heavy and burdensome, It just makes him furious, and he's upset, and they've missed it, and he's about to bring some correction to it all. In John chapter 6, I told you I was going to take you around the Bible, here we go. In John chapter 6, Jesus' fundal argument about the Pharisees is that they've made the message heavy, and so we need to make some distinctions here this morning between what is meant by heavy and the other things that we experience through the gospel, okay? So stick with me, you'll see where we're going here. But in John chapter 6, it's a book with lots of red letters, and Jesus had just fed a large crowd, and he begins to talk to the crowd about an exodus. And the crowd is thinking the literal exodus that happened in the book of Exodus, right? They're thinking of their ancestors, they're thinking of what happened back then. But Jesus is talking about a larger exodus that is yet to come. And the freedom he's going to bring, not just to one nation, but to all nations. And then he starts to use some strong language, like they'll have to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. And they just do not understand it. It blows their mind when he's talking about it. And in the same way that their ancestors began to grumble, they also begin to grumble. And so there's this whole thing going on with their past history. And he's essentially taking a thing that they know about... And he's comparing it to something far beyond anything they can, they can comprehend, and it blows their minds. And they literally can't grasp the beauty and depth of what he's describing to them. And, on, and in verse 60, here's how they respond to him. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You see, Jesus is upset with the religious leaders because they give the message heavy. But that's different than what's happening here. You see, sometimes the message, it is hard. Sometimes the message can come across to us as difficult. Sometimes the reality of the kingdom of God, it is difficult. It is, oh, it is, well, how am I going to do that? And it brings these kinds of emotions out of us but that is different than being heavy. Let's keep going in Luke chapter 10. You see, it's not heavy, but sometimes it may be hard. You see, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is dining in the home with Mary and Martha, right? And Martha is preparing all this stuff, getting everything ready, and Mary's just sitting there at his feet listening, and Martha gets upset, and And the scripture says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You were worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Martha, Martha. And by the way, if Jesus repeats your name more than once, it's not good, okay? It's not looking good. If God repeats your name, just listen, because something is about to come. And Jesus is essentially saying, Martha, your life is out of control. You're obsessing, your compulsion has gotten the best of you. You are stressed, you're worried about so many things that aren't even important right now. You've lost a sense of perspective is essentially what he's saying. It's not heavy, friends, but sometimes Jesus' message is hard. And sometimes his message is confrontive. Sometimes the message of God can confront us in a way that makes us a bit uncomfortable. How many of you know that the voice of Christ has spoken into your lives at points, right? And essentially, sometimes what you hear is your life is out of control. It's out of whack, and you felt this. And that's confrontive, and that feels confrontive when you hear God speak to you that way. You see, that truth confronts me, and sometimes it offends me, and sometimes it even bothers me when i hear you know god kind of speaking to me like that but that's exactly what he's saying to martha here he's saying you've kind of missed it your life has become unmanageable and his message to her isn't heavy but it's confrontive and it can be hard in luke chapter 5 jesus comes across his first disciples and these are people who would know the sea and they would fishing was their whole thing it was their lifestyle And they've been fishing all night and they haven't been able to catch a single thing. And Jesus approaches these experienced and skilled men and says to them, you know, let down the nets for a catch one more time. And they were probably thinking to themselves, well, Jesus, you know, we haven't caught a single thing all night. I don't know why you're you're asking this, but because he asked, they did so. And they followed through. And it'd be interesting to be Simon at this point who has a great deal of knowledge and authority about fishing. Apparently, Jesus wants to speak to him in his realm of authority so that Peter can then understand Jesus' realm of authority. And so there's a life lesson happening right in this moment for them. And so he lets the nets down, and the catch was so big that the boats began to sink. And Simon Peter comes face to face with the kingdom of God on display through this person named Jesus. And it exposes in that moment, the scripture says, for him all the ways in which he is broken, all of his mistakes, all of the ways in which he's fallen short. And his natural response is he goes up to Jesus and says, get away from me. You don't understand. You know, I don't even deserve to be in the same boat as you. I'm a sinful man. I have missed the mark. The message of Jesus is not heavy, but sometimes it is hard. Sometimes it's confrontive. And sometimes, as we see here, it's deeply convicting. Sometimes when we encounter Jesus, it becomes very, very convicting for us. And that's normal, and that's okay. You come face to face with beauty, compassion, and truth, and your own brokenness and pain and sin, and something within you just wells up and says, I'm not worthy. Something within you knows you've fallen short. You see, sometimes the message of the kingdom is convicting. That's a good thing for us, as much as we want to fight it at times. And Jesus is furious with the religious leaders of his day because they have made the message heavy. You see, sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's convicting, sometimes it does confront us, but at the end of the day, you should arrive Not at a point where you're dragging yourself around thinking, oh, I just can't do anything. But you should arrive at hope. Let's continue. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, here's how Paul says it. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised in Christ. "...having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ." He forgave us all of our sins. And this is the reason why Jesus was upset with the message of the religious leaders. It's because what the gospel does is the gospel takes the loads off of our shoulders— the fundamental center of Jesus' message is taking loads off, not putting loads on. And we see that here in 2 Corinthians. In verse 9, this is Christ showing you that God, what God is like in the flesh and blood. In Christ, it says, you have been brought to fullness. Something central and core to your nature in Christ has been changed. In this new reality, you've been brought to fullness in Jesus. You have been raised from the dead, the text says. When you were dead to your sins, God made you alive with Christ, the text says. Christ has forgiven you. And for those who have given their lives to follow him, this is your present reality. You see, the announcement is, the, is of things that have already been done. The message is not about beating you up for what you haven't done. The message is an announcement of what God has done for you in Christ. It's not a flogging for all the ways in which you've screwed things up, but it's actually an announcement and a proclamation of what God has done in us and for us in Christ. It's our identity. It's our present identity in Him. You were dead, but now you are alive. You were once separated and distanced, but now the fullness is yours. The gospel is not beating beating yourself up for all the ways in which you haven't gotten it right or all the ways in which you've done it wrong but it is an announcement of what God has done right on our behalf. Are you with me? In verse 127, it says, To them God has chosen to make among the Gentiles, which is many of us, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is the hope of Christ. You see, the message isn't about who you aren't, but it's all about who Christ is. And Christ is our If the message does not at its core resound with hope, then Jesus isn't in it. Because his message at its core is a hopeful message, is about hope. It's not about telling you who you aren't, but but about reminding you who Christ is, and he's hope, and you have hope in him. It's not about telling you who you aren't, but it's about reminding you who Christ is in you. Are you with me? You see, the call to carry our cross is hard, don't get me wrong. When the Bible tells us to carry our cross, that is hard, that can be difficult. It can be convicting, it will confront us, but the gospel at the end of the day is full of hope. And on the other side of any of these things is the hope of Christ and eternal life in him. And that's what kept the disciples going. That's what kept them working away. It wasn't because they just guilted themselves and and weighed themselves down with heavy loads. It was because there was hope in their life. And they knew what they were doing wasn't in vain. Because Jesus was with them. And this is so important, friends, for us to understand if we're going to live for God. Because this deeply shapes the way you see yourself in a lot of ways as a Christian. Your own consciousness about your own being You see, it's your own internal dialogue about all the ways in which you aren't, in which you haven't been, in which you fall short, in which you don't measure up, in which sometimes you feel like you're not good enough. That kind of thinking is heavy. That kind of thinking is carrying a burden with you. That kind of thinking is going to prevent you from walking forward in Jesus. But the core and the fundamental message of the gospel are not announcements about what you haven't done always and daily feeling terrible about who you aren't, but it's about finding the truth about what God has done for you. And now you live in that. And now you found that hope. And now you found that peace in your life. Yes, we recognize we've missed it, but hope also says he has taken care of it, and we are in him. Author and pastor Timothy Keller from New York City pastors a church in New York City downtown called Redeemer. On Twitter this past week, I read this, and I thought this went perfect with my life lesson. He wrote, do you realize that it is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you get the verdict before the performance? Do you realize that it's only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you get the verdict before the performance? And so in light of this, in light of that thinking, it isn't simply about what you failed to be, but it's about who Christ has succeeded in being. And we have his righteousness. All of our righteousness is his. And this is the essence of the message of Jesus. It's not loading you down with nine steps of getting to the holy place. But it's the announcement that Christ is already there and that you can trust that you are in Christ and that you are there with him. It isn't seven ways in which you can be holy enough so that, you know, God can say well done to you. But it's the announcement that Christ is already there and that you are in Christ. It is not heavy. It is not a burden. The gospel takes the loads off. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, at other times, religion in its most disturbing form, I find sometimes, is kind of like this. People think this way. If you can just do this or achieve this or give this or, you know, volunteer this amount then God will smile. Anyone ever fallen into that kind of thinking before? Anyone presently there today? So a lot of the time, at its core, it's about making something happen. It's about singing loud enough. It's about, you know, memorizing enough. It's about giving enough. And then you'll reach some sort of high and holy place. But the center of the gospel we read in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here, and all this is from God. Amen? The message is not simply about telling you how to do a bunch of right things so that then something will happen. But the message is about what has already happened in Christ. The old is gone, the new is here, and this is practical for us today. This will change the way we view God. This will change the way we view ourselves as we walk with him. You see, the religious leaders, along with loading people up with heavy expectations, they, they, they almost made everything legalistic in their teachings. And they even added to the law. They even added their own oral tradition and added this on top of this to make sure you don't do this. And it was, it was stressful, and it was heavy for the people who, who, who sat under their teaching. You know, I'm reminded of the words of Pastor Bruxy Cavey uh, when talking about the law and the rules of the Pharisees, he always used to say this. He always used to say that fences are good for cattle, but sheep need a shepherd. Fences are good for cattle, but sheep need a shepherd. In other words, fences are fine if you just need to keep someone boxed in, if you just need to prevent someone from leaving and just kind of keep them kind of boxed into something, that's fine. But sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need direction. And God has given us direction in our lives and desires to lead and guide us. Fences can prevent cattle from from, from leaving, but sheep follow their shepherd. And Jesus is furious with these religious leaders because they've loaded people down with burdens. They've beaten people up. And how many of us have heard some of this before in our own lives? You know, you don't pray enough, or you don't read your Bible enough, or you don't give enough. And you know, at the end of the day, that's not always helpful, is it? You know what that... You know what that is? That is loading people down. But if we learn about who we already are in Christ, then that is what we need to, to, to then do what we need to do. That is the motivation. That is where we live from. You see, the gospel's not handing you a new set of things to go out the door and feel terrible about yourself. But it's Jesus saying, here, let me carry that. Let me help you live this out. The gospel isn't about beating you down, but God is announcing to you the amazing things that has already been done for you in Christ. And it's not supposed to feel like walking out of a store with way too much camping gear on your back that you can't even carry. You don't even know how you're going to get to the mountains. You don't even know how you're going to get to your car, for that matter, with all that stuff on your back. And dreading the trek in front of you, dreading the journey that lies ahead. That's not what the gospel is supposed to feel like. Wondering and stressing and worrying about what, how you can you know, even make it through this walk of faith. But there's a truth for us this morning, friends, that we, if you have given your life to follow Jesus, we are in Christ. We are in Christ, and Jesus is our help, and Jesus is with us. And in this and in that, we have hope today. Not in what we do, but precisely in what he has already done and he desires to do through us. Secondly, the gospel is not self-seeking. You see, these religious teachers, Jesus criticized them. He said, you guys like to be seen, you like to be praised, you like to be held in high regard among the people. Even their religious duty and traditions were motivated by this desire to be seen as special, elite, and to have the best seats in the house. You ever walked into a messy house before? Anyone? Some of you are thinking, well, I was at home this morning, right? Right? I hope I don't make us all self-conscious about this, leaving here. But have you ever walked into a messy house, maybe in like a very nice street where, you know, the house has great curb appeal and it looks nice, desirable area, right? And the outside of the house looks great, but when you walk in, you're absolutely like, oh, oh. Well, you must have been busy, right? You must have been busy around here recently. You ever seen someone driving a nice car that looks beautiful on the outside, the paint job's good, everything looks flashy about it? And yet, if you had a conversation with the driver of that car, they would talk to you about how much money they put into this thing, how the engine is shot, how many bills it costs all all the time, right? And how the outside might look a certain way, but the inside of the thing is kind of damaged, and they would would rather just part their way with it. Have you ever put on a good smile (laughs) towards people when inwardly you just felt the opposite? And it took everything within you just to put that smile on. You see, this is what Jesus is saying that the Pharisees valued. They valued the seats of honor and to appear as good and as holy and really as above everyone else. And yet inwardly, Jesus says, they have completely missed it and their lives are out of whack. And their lives are far from the freedom that Jesus came to bring. But they tie up heavy loads and they place them on people. And they themselves refuse to lift a finger, refuse to help in any way possible. And so Jesus is bringing some correction to this way of thinking. That all you have to do is appear good outwardly. That if you put on your best face and your best robe and your best prayer cases, that's what phylacteries are. Yes, I had to learn how to pronounce that this week, right? So that people can see. To them, in their minds, that donated, that that, that meant obedience with God's law and his ways. That's what they thought. But Jesus is about to suggest to them that you can do all this stuff outwardly and be completely broken, empty, and spiritually bankrupt inwardly. Because your motivation is wrong. Your motivation is not, in fact, for God and his glory, but for your own. And that's a hard word to hear. That's a confronting word. That's a convicting word. You see, you, Jesus is saying to them, are merely concerned about yourself, about your reputation, about how others perceive you. And this is a warning, I think, to us today that if we ever get this idea or thought that all we have to do is dress up and put on a smile or do some deeds publicly or be very Christian on the outside and in doing so people will see us as God's servants, if we ever get into that type of motiva- motivation, the truth is is that Jesus looks deeper than that, and He sees our hearts, and He sees our motivations, and He says the gospel isn't a message about how to make our names great, but. Really, the gospel is a message about how we can make God's name great and how we get to serve him in the process and how we get to love one another and how we get to encourage each other as we walk through this journey of life. This is why Jesus tells us earlier in the book of Matthew not to do our acts of service or religious devotion in front of people with the motivation to receive their praise. He says if that's what you're looking for, then you're going to get a very bad reward out of that. That's, 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 That's nothing compared to what he wants to do in our lives. And so Jesus condemns the lifestyle of the religious leaders and how they have missed the mark in following God. But even worse, not only did they miss the mark, but they were leading other people astray. And we're going to talk about that more next week. You see, the gospel message is one of Christ loving us, is one of Christ saving us, that we can also love one another We can help one another. We can lift a finger to make someone's load lighter. It's like teamwork to an extent, you see? When the team is working for the benefit of the team, everyone does better, everything functions better. But the minute somebody decides that they are more important than the team and that it's all about them and that it's all about their glory and that it's all about their success, then the team doesn't function as it should, how many of our favorite sports teams have been marred by a player in the, in, in the room, you know, who wanted to make it about themselves? Don't yell names, okay? But it's, it, 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 the team gets hurt when someone's not focused on the others on the team, but is merely concerned with themselves. And Jesus is saying that this self-seeking, this me-first mindset, this is the mindset of the Pharisees, and it's toxic. Jesus is saying that rather than follow the ways of God, they have actually followed the ways of this world. That they haven't been following the way of the kingdom of God, but they've been actually following the ways of the kingdom of this world. And their attitude and their mindset is me first. And then Jesus starts warning them about seeking titles, which is really a warning to all of us who may have a, you know, may also have a hunger for titles. He warns them against seeking titles of honor that only foster pride and only foster arrogance in people's hearts. He says, don't make it your aim to become, be called rabbi, for Jesus is our master. And then he says, we're all brothers and sisters. Meaning that we're all in the same boat. Each one of us is equal in Christ. God doesn't play favorites. He says, don't seek the title Father. For we have a heavenly father. And various traditions and various denominations must wrestle with this for themselves when they read this in Matthew chapter 23. And they have to wrestle with what does the title father imply? Don't seek to be known as teacher, Jesus says. For at the end of the day, Jesus is our teacher. But love God. And love people as you love yourself And so there is an antidote to this type of self-seeking. And that is why, and this is the last point I'm going to make this morning, the gospel is good news for the humble. The gospel is really good news for the humble. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 11, we read that, 23, sorry. We read that the greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, at the end of the day, the gospel is really a threat to the proud and to the arrogant and to the self-seeker. But the gospel is joy and it's good news to the humble. In Philippians, writing from jail, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so reading a passage, a scripture like this, brings all sorts of thoughts to mind. It causes us to think, in what ways have we maybe made things about ourselves? It begs the question, how do you presently and currently serve other people? I'm credentialed with the POC, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and in my uh, process of becoming credentialed, I had to answer a bunch of theology questions. And after you're credentialed for two years, then you could be ordained uh, with the domination. I say all that to say this, that I had to do an interview with a bunch of pastors sitting around the table. And I thought for sure they're going to come at me with all these hard theological questions. You know, I better brush up on eschatology. I better brush up, you know, on what I believe about the Holy Spirit. I better brush up on all this stuff. But what was interesting was that they kept it more personal. And they all started asking me personal questions around the table. And one person asked me, you know... Uh, So how do you balance time for family and everything while you're doing ministry? Another person asked me a question is, how do you still become a student? How do you still learn? How do you still grow in your gifts? And they were asking me all these practical questions, which kind of threw me for a loop because I was, you know, there ready with my Bible, you know, ready to get gold stars, right? And I was going to make it happen if I had to. But I remember one pastor asking me this question, and it stuck with me ever since. And he asked me, as a pastor, he said, you will be put into a leadership role. And he asked me, how do you serve people still? How do you still serve people? Outside of leading, outside of instructing, outside of teaching, how do you personally serve? And I remember sitting there for a second going, wow. (laughs) I'm sure I gave some answer, right? I got my ordination that day. Just being honest with you. But it challenges me still to this day, and it should. It should challenge me. And it should be something that I should have in order to be ordained, because Jesus said that to become great, He said, You want to become great, then you become a servant of others, and you serve those around you. And I think it's a question that each one of us needs to ask ourselves this morning How do we serve one another, even in this community? How do we serve one another? How do we make sure that we lift a finger in order to offer those who maybe are feeling weighed down even today? How can we go out and love one another? How can we serve one another? How can we help a brother or sister when we see that their load is heavy? How do we lift a finger to help each other? Those are the questions that we must answer. Those are the things that this text demands of us in 2019. You know, how can we even serve people right here in our church community? I'm just going to take a quick second here. We're getting the fall kickoff soon. And there are many ways in which you can get involved in this community. And we'd love to have you on one of our teams. We'd love to have you be a part of one of our ministry teams. If you're interested in getting involved, talk to me or one of the pastors. Um, you You could sign up online at the Welcome Center. We have green cards that you could fill out. But we'd love to have you a part one of our teams. But what are we doing presently in order to serve still and to serve others and not ourselves? Because as we serve others, as we look to the needs of someone around us, you know what that does? That takes the attention off me and myself. And it places it somewhere else where I think Jesus wants it. And so in what ways have you maybe understood this morning the gospel message as heavy? Maybe that's been your struggle. Maybe this has been nothing but a burden on your shoulders, the gospel, and it's something you've wrestled with, and it's something you've struggled with, and you've carried it, and all you do is feel guilt, and you never, ever, ever, ever recognize the hope that you've been given and the hope in which Jesus declares to you. You see, the kingdom message is a a growing sense of awareness of who Christ is and what the reality of the kingdom of God is, where we are loved just because we are. You are loved today by Christ just because you are. And I think some of us this morning just needed to hear that today. And I hope that's an encouragement for you today, that you are loved in spite of what you've done, in spite of what you've tried to earn. You're loved just because God loves you, just who you are. He's not content to leave you there. He's going to change you. It might might get difficult. It might get confronting. It might get convicting. He loves you, though, as you are. And so this begins with awareness, our growing awareness, our awareness of the cross, our growing awareness of not what you have to do to earn God's favor, not what you have to do to make it happen, but what's already happened and what God has already done for you and in you. You see, Jesus said it like this in the book of Matthew, and this is the last verse I'm going to read today. He said this, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so in light of this this morning, maybe this takeaway for some of us is that you just need to hear that God loves you this morning, regardless of where you're at right now. And he wants you to come to him. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That he desires to walk with you, that he desires to help you, that he wants to lighten your load. And so this morning, I leave us with a couple of questions. On the screen is a phone number. If you uh, would like some help with something you've heard this morning, if you'd like someone to pray with you, if you want some encouragement, if you want to get involved somehow in this community, just text the word soul to that number that's on the screen right now. And we'll make sure to contact you. We won't stalk you. We won't constantly text you. We will literally reach out and see any way in which we could help and be a blessing to you this week. But I leave us with a couple of questions this morning. How many of us have experienced something heavy in our experience with the gospel? Anyone ever been there before? I know I have. It it wasn't what it was, but I felt something heavy. And this morning, maybe some of us need to know and experience his hope and his freedom afresh again. And I'm going to pray for us this morning. For any one of us who's feeling that way, I pray that we would leave here more hopeful and feeling more freedom than before we came in. And it's not because of anything you heard from the stage, but it's because of what the Holy Spirit and what God will do in your heart today. How many of us know that we are great at dressing up, that we're good at putting on a good face, but that perhaps our motivation, perhaps our inner life sometimes needs a course correction? Any of us there today? Don't raise your hands. Respond to God. I challenge you um, to take the honest response to that question and to bring it to Jesus today and allow him to search your heart and allow him to speak to you and allow him to direct you. And finally, how many of us recognize the need to lift a finger metaphorically? And how can God use you to serve others today and even in this upcoming fall year? leave those questions with us today. And my prayer is that you would leave here this morning, recognize that we are in Christ. We are people not walking around with heavy, on our, our heavy burdens given to us by God, but we are given hope, amen, in Jesus' name. And so la- allow me just to pray for us today as we come to your conclusion. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you didn't come to put heavy burdens on us, Lord, but that you came to give us rest in you you came to bring us freedom lord and in you we have hope and so i pray for each person this morning who maybe feels weighed down who maybe feels guilted who maybe feels like they just aren't doing enough i pray lord that they would experience your love today in a fresh and new way holy spirit would you do that work in our hearts lord help us take the masks off help us to drop the pose if we will lord and i pray god that you would just help us to love you from a truly pure motivation And show us ways in which we can serve you by serving other people. And so speak to our hearts today. Speak to our hearts this week, Lord. Thank you for your hope. Thank you, Lord, that we identify in Christ this morning. And we give you praise. We give you thanks. And we thank you for your help. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand this morning. I'm going to leave you with a blessing. I hope everyone has a great remainder of this long weekend. But in ancient times, the one who who gave a blessing did so by extending hands. And those who want to receive a blessing did likewise. And so if you'd like a blessing this morning, please extend your hands. And here it is. May your hearts burst with gratitude for the freedom you enjoy. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So live with boldness and courage and conviction. Love others freely, give generously, and pray passionately, always lifting a finger to lighten someone else's load, and serving them as you serve Jesus Christ. Rejoice this morning that you are in Christ and that he walks with you today and every day.